Good afternoon, everyone. Dr. Niger again, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, another fun week of speaking with so many of you guys. I do my best to respond to all the text messages, emails, uh, phone calls. Uh, it's really been eye-opening for me just to uh, just be able to talk to people on a, on a global perspective and get different perceptions of how mental health is um, perceived in different parts of the globe. And uh, I, I appreciate all the topics and, and suggestions for future episodes. So you know, Julia's here today, and, you know, she kind of ebbs and flows and pops in if something piques her interest. Um, but somebody had emailed me from Auckland, New Zealand, who is um, studying psychology, and they're working on their thesis uh, related and wanted me to do an episode. Um, and several people have kind of reached out. Um, as I've done a lot of episodes on the personality disorders, which um, people find to be, and me, me in particular, find to be incredibly fascinating. But uh, the impact uh, of a parental figure who is struggling with a mental health condition and the impact that that could potentially have on a child. So as we're born into the world, um we are like sponges. We just absorb what other people who are responsible for our care uh, are doing, are how they're acting, whether that's in, a, in an adaptive way, whether that's in a maladaptive way. It could be substance abuse, could be domestic violence in the home, could be um, illegal activity, uh seen and heard pretty much all the different stories and when i'm when i'm doing my my um structured diagnostic clinical interview um one of the th you know one of the first questions after kind of getting like background basic background information where you live that kind of stuff is is family history and um uh, it's really important when you're looking at, at uh, a possible diagnosis in an individual, when I'm doing a neuropsych eval, is parental, um, family, medical, and psychiatric history. So usually we'll ask any history of anxiety, depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, ADHD, autism, OCD, borderline personality, any personality disorders, uh, alcoholism, uh, drug abuse, and it's interesting because when you get like an older generation, maybe I'd say probably 50s and 60s, it's a little harder because at least in the United States, I think in most Western civilized countries, they didn't really talk about mental health. You know, uh, grandpa wasn't an alcoholic. He just worked really hard at the factory and he came home or he would go to the bar every night. Um, you know, they didn't talk about crazy Uncle Harry who might have had schizophrenia uh, because it was an embarrassment, you know. And, you know, the work of, you know, um, <clears throat> I think Harry Stack Sullivan was really, you know, the, the, the DSM has, has evolved. I think we still have a long way to go. But in, in, in the diagnostic manual, there are prevalence rates and uh, for different uh, disorders. So... I've, I've mentioned this in other episodes. I think with, with the whole pandemic, uh, I'm not sure if we're still in one, if we're coming out of one. Uh, seems to be somewhat of a thing of the past. 
But be that as it may, um, I think, at least in the United States, and talking with other people from different parts of the world, the influx of people who have entered the mental health system, whether that's via telehealth um, or just, uh, you know, we were all living with each other. We were, you know, forced to confront ourselves. We were forced to look at, parent people were forced to look at their children. Uh, couples were, you know, working from home and had to deal with the relationships and, you know, the, the normal routines of all of our lives, you know, kind of came to a screeching halt. Um, and we just kind of sat in, in this, this, this quagmire of, of, of what, what is going on and what is the next step. And I think, uh, I would say the prevalence rates in the diagnostic manual um, are much higher for a vast majority of the psychiatric conditions. But can parental uh, mental health or mental illness impact a child? And the the answer, I think, is yes. Uh, But I think you also have to look at it as a matter of perception, Two individuals could grow up in very similar environments with with similar parenting styles. Let's just take the mom who has bipolar and may or may not be medicated, may or may not be in treatment, may or may not be using substances. And child A grows up in that environment and they are as they age into adolescence and adulthood, they may develop a a psychiatric condition as an artifact of the dysfunction of that parent. Whereas child B could grow up with a parent with would say is very similar to the child and parent A and have no residual impacts. So, you know, not everybody who experiences trauma develops PTSD. Um, So I think there is a degree of subjectivity to it in terms of how, you know, not every child that's beaten becomes an abuser. Um, so we have to look at what we always want to look at is uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great book about this called Outliers. You know, the fascinating thing is why did this individual not become affected? Why, if we have these models, the outliers are fascinating because it it, it it puts holes in different theories and different models, and it's really neat to look at what are the idiosyncrasies and what are the differences in those individuals that they weren't affected by it. Uh, but as, as children, I don't think children have really the cognitive ability to really know what, you know, they don't know the DSM, um, they don't know the diagnostic criteria, but they are, you know, passive recipients of whatever mental health issues that their parents may be experiencing. Um, eating disorders are linked to, you know, families that have uh, a lot of enmeshment, uh, incredibly perfectionistic standards. Uh, so, you know, parent who's narcissistic, um, you know, don't put that in your mouth. You're, you're going to get too, you're going to get too heavy. You're not going to make the ballet team. Um, so you know those those styles. I think especially when it's more personality based, because when it's more personality based, it's not so evident. Um, but you know the answer to that question of does does parental mental health impact indiv- you know children? Uh, I would say yeah, it it, it does to, to the degree and extent. I I don't. 
I don't know that. I don't know the definitive answer to that. I think it really is on a individual individualistic level. So, um, you know, you see with kids who are taken into uh, like Department of Children and Families, they're removed from the home, uh, they go into foster care, um, and foster care can be, you know, sometimes worse than the environment that they were taken out of um, or, or, or it, it, into adoption. But I, I think as, as toxic as, as parents can be, in whatever capacity of what they're struggling with, I think we there is a primal desire to want the love and attention and affection from that parental figure, whether or not they are even capable or even a, of giving it or even aware that this is what their child needs. So you'll see a lot of people who, you know, whose mothers may have been drug addicts and gave them up for adoption or just or just abandoned them. And they may have a lot of animosity and hatred and 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 ill will, but they, you know, and from talking with so many people over the years, there's still this underlying I think this burning question of why, but there's still that longing desire um you know, I think this would probably go back to the work of uh, who was it, Maslow, um, Young, the, the kind of the collective unconscious. Um, again, you know my perspective on the unconscious. There is none. Um, Adler's definition of the unconscious, I think, is the most palatable, and he said the unconscious is simply that part of ourselves which we have yet to come to fully understand. But I think as as we get older, we will call like if you look in a, a statistical term, it's almost like a post hoc analysis. Hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back and say, yeah, that was pretty screwed up. Yeah, I was really impacted by by dad's alcoholism. I was really impacted by mom's depression that she was she was popping her Xanax and her and her Klonopin and she couldn't get off the couch. And you know, I have I have brothers and sisters, and I I was eight years old and I had to make dinner for them every night. And I had to, you know, quit school to go to get a job. To take care of, of of my siblings and some some kids in these situations of parents with with mental health uh, were parentified at a very early age and uh, that has to definitely be a, a a very strong variable in impacting. It's like, hey, I didn't ask for this as a kid. I didn't. I didn't ask to be born into this family. I didn't ask to be born and 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 have to take on the responsibilities of of what my parents should be doing. Or I didn't. I didn't ask to take on or be the, be be the uh, literal uh, punching bag for my parents' mental health issues. So. You know, going back to is our, I mean, mental health. If you just take a a, a couple. And someone's going through a manic phase of of, of bipolar disorder, or uh, you know, a flare up of, of 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 bipolarity. I'm sorry, a flare up of like borderline personality pathology. It it, it impacts those relationships. You know, it, it you know, but as adults, I think we have a little more. Uh, we have more. We have more of an ability to decide whether or not we want to stay in that relationship. We have more of an ability to make a choice of, do I want to work with my partner? Do I want to go to their, their psych appointments and be a part of couples therapy, whatnot? But as children, I, what, what, what do they have? They, they, can't, they can't just get in the car and say, you know what, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go live at Aunt, Mar- Aunt Mary's house and I'm seven years old. They can't do that. 
So a lot of times they're passive recipients of what they see. And, you know, you look at, at learning theory, uh, you know, the work of, of, of Albert Bandura uh, really did, you know, did a lot of work. If you look and read the study about the, the, the Bobo doll, um, it, it, it really it really sets the foundation that we are, we are products of our environments. We are products of our learning. We are products of what we grow up with. But again, back to that whole concept of perception, not everybody who grows up in say a dysfunctional family, and I'm using dysfunction, I'm just saying a parent or parents with, with mental health issues, um, not everybody is going to have the same uh, response, uh, the same outcome, or the same trajectory, but I think it does it does it impact people? Could it contribute to uh, a child or maybe early adolescent starting to develop depression, starting to develop anger, behavioral problems? Uh, especially if, if 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 they're and again in a world of social comparison with the advent of social media, you see this a lot with adolescents. They're constantly comparing themselves. I mean, how many likes do you get on Instagram? How many likes do you get on Facebook or, or all, all the different social media platforms? So things are not as compartmentalized um, as they were prior, I think, to the advent of, of, of technology. But now kids have a, and even adults, but we're sick with like the impact on kids, they have access to an entire world where they can look at their lives and then look at the lives of their peers and and, and make comparisons, whether they're uh, correct or incorrect, but they can look and say, oh my God, look how good they have it. Assuming, we all know what assume means, assuming that that person is happy because people post, you know, the idyllic versions of the world that they want you to see in terms of their individual lives. But I think it's even more so now when, when kids are, are dealing with parents who do have mental health issues and they are have access to a world where they can connect with people. Because, you know, prior to the you know social media, you didn't know if you're hanging out with your friend Johnny and you know, you'd be playing playing baseball, and he's going home, and mom's passed out on her benzodiazepines. But you, well, you, you had nowhere to post it. You, you, know, you didn't have cell phones to, like, take a, you know, a photo and, like, post it online or send it to your friend and say, hey, is this normal? But now I think there's much more relevance into how kids are comparing themselves. They do not only to themselves, but they, you know, in terms of how many friends they have or what school they go to or what kind of car they drive, but they also have this, uh, this the access to looking into the lives of their peer group and referencing, you know, their own lives. And, um, I, you know, there's, there's teens that get on, on different uh, chat rooms and, you know, some, of the, you know, could it, could it be healthy? I think the vast majority is, is it's not unhealthy because I think sometimes you can get to, it's like, like if misery loves company, nobody's going to change and nobody else is going to be invited except somebody else who's miserable. So if, if there isn't healthy uh, reference points to have the, the child begin to say, wait a minute, maybe this is, and I hate this term, but we'll use it because we all understand what it means. Maybe this isn't normal. Maybe it's not normal to come home and see mom and dad slapping each other. Maybe it's not normal to come home and see dad and, or mom, you know, popping a bunch of pills. Um, maybe it's not normal that 
my mom tells me, you know, that I'm, I'm fat and I'm going to be a loser because we are all subject to the words and the actions and the lack thereof of the, you know, what other people do and say and how we let that impact us is totally within our our control. But I think it, 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 with respect to children, they have must, much less control and also a significant lack of understanding whether something in, in their parent is healthy or unhealthy. Um, again, like I said, just because, you know, dad beats mom doesn't mean that Johnny is going to be an abuser. Do I think it places him at an elevator risk? Yes. If, if that knowledge and that behavior is never contradicted. I said this in one of the episodes about perception. If, if, if you are raised and never told otherwise, you have your Crayola box of crayons and you are taught from a young age that the red crayon is actually called, is actually green and no one tells you otherwise. And you go to your first day of kindergarten and you, your teacher says, take out the red crayon. You're not going to take out the red crayon because that's not red to you. That's not what you've been told. So without that knowledge being um, uh, contradicted or children are taught other things, yes, they will, they will, I think, go in line with their parents and um, they could either develop the same um same pathology they could develop the same behavioral patterns they could develop the same personality styles um it's it's when they're confronted with with opposing information it puts them in a perspective and sometimes sometimes people do this they will defend their parents to the nth degree and make excuses like you know but you know dad you know yeah he raped me from 8 to 14 but you know i don't think he meant it and I, I hear these stories, and I'm not extrapolating or making these things off the top of my head, but I I, I hear these stories, and you you know, as as a diagnostician, I see the I see the outcome of what pathology somebody has, but I don't think I could say with a hundred percent degree of certainty that this caused the behavior. In in some ways, and in, in, in I've and I've written this in in in, in numerous evals. You know, I think from a therapeutic perspective, you know, say uh, like avoidant personality. Um, you, if if you speak out of turn or you don't do anything right, um, or if your behavior isn't whatever, you know, because you know, God forbid, I I I say something inappropriate or incorrect, that's just going to open the floodgates. I'm going to learn to avoid. And if I learn to avoid, then I'm going to just avoid any kind of conflict. Now, I'm going to avoid in relationships. I'm going to avoid in talking to my boss about a raise. I'm going to avoid uh, confronting my partner about something. I'm going to avoid arguments. I'm going to avoid disagreement because that's a learned behavior. So that's a perfect example of how, how you know parental pathology can definitely impact it. Now, I'm not saying that every situation is going to result in the development of avoidant personality disorder. We can do a, a different topic on, on those cluster of personality disorders. Like avoidant, the paranoids, uh, they're in the different categories, but schizotypal, schizoid, um, I think those would be definitely beneficial because I do diagnose all those um, quite a bit. So uh, I guess the, the answer to the question is, does, does parental mental health impact a child? Yes. How and to what degree I think is more of a therapy issue 
Um, you know, neuropsych testing can't really figure that out, but it can figure out what the pathology and the diagnostic criteria or diagnostic label is for an individual. And, you know, um, You'll see it in in in, uh, in 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 testing, like things like the the the. You'll see it sometimes come out in the projective tests, uh, where you're probably getting to, to like the more crux of of of, of the, the the structure of personality. You you can kind of see the impact of parental um, mental health or mental unwellness on the on the children on children, even if they're answering as a. a adolescent or as an adult uh the incomplete sentence blanks are really good uh the kinetic projective drawings they have a lot of limitations emmanuel hammer was kind of the guru behind that i actually have a a signed copy of his book uh he was the one who really developed the you know people can kind of get carried away with the projective drawings like if there's a knot hole in the tree that means you've been sexually abused i mean i think you know and where that where the knot hole is whether it's low or higher means you know what proximity you've been abused. I think you can get a little carried away with that, but it's interesting when you you know like your last draw a picture of your family, um, and you look for like placement, you know you know and right above each person who somebody is, and you can get a lot of information about family dynamics from that specific drawing because it will you know if I'm the individual who do I who do I place myself next to sometimes like if if, if dad wasn't a very abusive person you'll see you'll, you'll see the person next to their mom and next to their uh, sibling and then dad's off in the corner or mom dad and the siblings are holding hands and dad's not even on the page so the projective tests really give a lot of information where you kind of dig and really get into some of the family dynamics but it's it's, it's definitely more of a therapeutic issue i you know from a diagnostic perspective I, I would be able to gain information of like okay there's something definitely clinically relevant here that needs to be explored in in, in psychotherapy but the, that information does give those those tests do give a lot of information about about family dynamics and uh, in the thematic apperception test, in the stories people tell, you're able to get a lot about their development and a lot about their their history. Um, so, I mean, if 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 you if you see somebody, if you see a child, if you see or you know a family member, or you you know a friend or or, or a colleague that is struggling with mental health, I would definitely encourage them to get themselves into treatment, uh, getting their 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 children into treatment maybe even even family therapy earlier earlier intervention leads to better prognosis um but again kids don't know i mean young kids especially they don't know depression they don't know bipolarity they don't know schizophrenia they don't know if if popping pills is you know if, if that's good or bad or they just they're just passive observers of, of of what their 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 life situation is 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 kind of presenting them you want to say anything you want to say anything oh sure here she comes i, I gotta <laughs> say just for the record i don't know if it's just me but why is it always the, the woman the mother popping pills all right, just saying, just saying. Not always a mother propping pills. I know you don't mean that. Um, I here's like kind of a rule of thumb: <sighs> anxious parents, anxious kids; depressed parents, depressed kids. It doesn't always stick to a lot of people. Like, for example, I think 
every kid wants their parents to be okay. That's not too much for a kid to ask, you know. They weren't asked to be born, but, you know, um, sometimes people are born into into families that or situations that where that person is just not ready to be a parent. Um, but I think to look at it like um, a process, because that's really the only way to look at it. It's your, it's your journey. It's how you, you know... You, if you don't get something at home and you recognize, I think what happens is when kids are at home, they don't know anything. They don't really know any different. So they think whatever's happening at home probably is the way the world is until they go over to their friend's house and they see, you know, uh, parents, maybe an intact family where maybe they compare their own life, you know, family life with so, so you draw comparisons. That's why I think when kids go off to college, um, that's when a lot of the times, you know, um, kids will, you know, question things more because they're exposed to more. Um, and again, it's all on a continuum. It's all on a spectrum because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, let, for example, let's take, let's take a father who's depressed and, more often than not, you wouldn't believe this, but a lot of people don't even know that they're depressed. They just have no idea that they're depressed. And then they test, they'll do testing, for example. And I, I didn't even know I was depressed. But, um, you know, and if a mother's depressed, I mean, there's a lot of postpartum depression out there. There's a lot of, uh, you know, bipolarity in postpartum depression, too, which is even a deeper depression. Um, and, you know, in... And that's a chemical thing. And how hard is it on the mother to be available to a child, an infant? So that's really, um, you know, if anyone's really struggling with that kind of thing or knows anybody who's struggling with that kind of thing, really try to get them some help. Um, like I said, go to your gynecologist if, you, if you're a female and you are feeling not right. In fact, a lot of times gynecologists are very even, they might be ups, ups, um, like OBGYNs. Um, but if you have a gynecologist and you can talk to them about how you're feeling and it's real, it's real. Sometimes they say, you know, you get the baby blues and the baby blues are, you know, and again, you know, that lasts a shorter amount of time. People definitely usually come out of it, but you know, postpartum depression is a really, um, and I just give that as an example. That being said, you know, you grow up, you can talk about, we, we do a lot of histories. I think that when I, you know, I've noticed based on, you know, taking on a lot of new clients or anybody new, I'm doing a history. So I'm asking lots of questions about someone's background. I, I have an hour to do it, but I, I do like to ask a lot of uh, probing questions about someone's history. I don't really get into trauma very much because it's not, it's not appropriate to kind of poke that trauma membrane. Um, that's a whole other episode. But um, I think when it comes to people growing up, like we, there's a, there's a dis-ease about having a parent that is emotionally unavailable. 
And, but there's also the flip of that as well. I think that as parents, we can't possibly always be the perfect parent all the time. We can't possibly meet everybody's needs. I just think, I think even the most perfect parent out there, I just don't know if there's such a thing, but you're going to miss some things. But that's the flip of that is that a child will adapt. So this is why they talk a lot about child, child, the uh, children being resilient is because they'll adapt. Um, and I think like I, I read this book once, I don't know if I've ever quoted it here. And I, it, it's a wonderful book. It's called, uh, it's by uh, Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes, and it's called Women Who Run With the Wolves. And I read this book probably three times, three or four times in my life. And each time you read it, it's like a new experience. But this, this I remember it, in our life, she quotes, in our life, we have many mothers. I believe that in our life, we have many fathers too. I think what happens is as we get older, we search for whatever we felt like we didn't get or that we crave or that we think we need in that other parent that just didn't have it to give or at that time. Sometimes in a perfect world, you can make amends and you can talk through things. You could get therapy and maybe get some, you know, uh, resolution. Um, but that more often than not is not the case, um, especially when parents pass away. So there's really no way for people to talk to their parents. But moving just even a step beyond this is when you when you feel like you, you, there's something going on and, and, you know, it shows up in your relationships, you grow up, you become one of your parents, you marry the other one. I mean, there's so many sayings out there and, you know, I think it's very individualized, but at the same time, I do believe that, you know, we grow up in environments and we learn to adapt and we also learn to survive and we learn to get our needs met. And that is a strength. Um, it's not always healthy, uh, but you know what? It's a, it's a strength nonetheless. And I also want to say, once you realize that, hmm, yeah, I came from this. This is how I roll. This is working. That's not really working. This is something I probably want to address. I want maybe to change this behavior, which is why people go into therapy. I want something, things aren't going well. So they need to figure out why am I repeating this pattern? This pattern has been, so you can, you've, that I don't think I need to explain. But I do want to say at the time that you realize that you and you're in therapy and that, you know, you have your place to put it, you have your place to work through it. After a certain amount of time, there comes a time, I believe, depending on the level of, you know, disturbance that went on, because this, again, is on a continuum. And there are some traumas that are very, very difficult to overcome. I do think it's very important to heal. And, um, and that's a very important process. And it's really, and I can't rush anybody who's ever been hurt by somebody into forgiveness mode, because you can't fast forward into forgiveness. But once you get to that point in your life where you're like, okay, I can forgive this person, I'm forgiving this person, they were just doing the best that they can. Um, you're really healing yourself by doing that. It's not necessarily letting somebody off the hook. Again, depends on the situation. 
I'm not get this is just kind of a generalized uh, picture of what it's like. But the importance is, is to heal, is to really try to heal, but also recognize what it is that goes on with you in relationships, because this is where it shows up. It shows up in all of our relationships, our closest intimate relationships. And that could be a boss at work too. I mean, you your stuff could be played out in a work environment. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out for people in, who are playing things out in the work environment because it backfires and they lose their job. However, you know, if you grow up with an extremely domineering parent and then you have one of those bosses, then, you know, wh- what do you think is going to come up for you? Um but I do think it's very important to recognize also, and I and I do want to mention her again, because I think she's doing amazing work, and it's all free. <laughs> she's got an Instagram account. Um, her name is Dr. I always forget her first name, Nicole LaPera. I don't know if I'm butchering her name. I never, but she is the holistic psychologist. She has a lot of followers. I mentioned her a couple of times only because what I like about what she's doing is that she's giving uh, video vignettes. She's um, she, she, she tries to help people recognize and forgive themselves and love themselves for who they are and to accept and recognize ways to heal in these moments. Like, for example, she does a lot of work around what is my physiological, not just my emotional response to something. Whereas if people have a traumatic history, sometimes they're not always triggered. Obviously, some people have an experience in their body where they are feeling fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, there a lot, there's a lot of talk now about like fawning, um, which is very interesting. Uh, I'm open to looking more into that. It's definitely a thing. Um, it's more or less become, and I, again, I may butcher this, but it's more or less a different style where you kind of become a caretaker or your people pleaser. And then it's, it's like a whole personality, um, that has been derived from having had a traumatic history. Um, but I would recommend that you check her out. J- just check out her Instagram for all of you guys who are on Instagram. I'm sure she's probably got a Facebook and all that. She has a book. And again, I'm not trying to only hone in on her because there's a many, many people out there doing great work. Um, always try to come back to a place of peace. I think if nothing else, that's really your goal is to feel peace. And in a perfect world, our children would have been just engulfed in peace because as parents, we want to protect them from everything and anything that could be be in harm's way. And sometimes we just can't do it. Um, But resiliency is very important to remember. You are stronger than you think. And there are people who have suffered horrendous circumstances that still are able to, you know, go on and build beautiful lives, successful lives, you know, happy, joyful lives. And, um, and I, and in the other book I want to also recommend is, uh, well, the other author is, uh, Gloria Bernstein. Is it Gloria Bernstein? 
I'm reading it now. I'm still reading it. I've had so much to do. I haven't like really blown through it. It's it's actually kind of like it's a it's it's a self journal project um, of inner healing, and it's called Happy Days. Bernstein, Bornstein, what's her name? Gabrielle. Gabrielle Bernstein. Thank you. Sorry, guys. Gabrielle Bernstein. Um, I'd recommend that. That's a huge bestseller. I'm not through with the book yet, but I'm really kind of ready for one of those kind of, you know, transformations and um, and like kind of a healing uh, part uh, in my own life. So I think that um, it's and it's ever changing. It's always moving. You always want to keep it moving. It's there's no end end period. It's for the rest of your life. You know, you you. I hate the expression shit happens, but, you know, some of us were just dealt a, a, a deck, you know, there's nothing we can do. We can't, and I'm not saying, you know, we can't turn back time. We can't turn back our, we can't go back. So, you know, at this point it's brush your knees off and what do I need to, to do moving forward to feel good, to feel healthy, to feel whole, to feel joy again to feel peace and be self-reliant and have that peace come from, and I say spiritually, God gives us that peace. Um, Some people just want a higher power. Some people are very spiritual, but you have to have that connectedness to source. And because that is what's going to get you through the very difficult times. And in life is cluttered with crap and, you know, like if you think about if I if you had 10 days to live, how would you really spend it? And and that's something that we're I feel like constantly telling myself. Um, and it's a reminder for us as humans, because we can get really easily tripped up in a lot of distractions that just don't matter. So um, that's really just my two cents. I probably forgot five things, but I want to instill hope. Please ask your primary care doctors. If you don't have a therapist, go on psychology today. Look for a therapist in your area. You can type in your town where you live, your, your uh, state where you live, and make a bunch of phone calls um, or emails. You send out a bunch of emails, and hopefully you'll get a response from maybe three or four. Um, pay attention to what insurances they take. And also know this, too. If you don't have a good insurance, but you need help, pay out of pocket. Because think about the stuff that you pay for. You might not be rolling in dough, but it doesn't mean that you can't get a provider if you don't have insurance. It just means, like, here's a little trick of the trade. You hire a provider. If it's psychiatry, hire a psych provider, whether it be a psychiatrist or a psych NP or whatever. If you need medication... Get stable on the medication with the provider. Just pay out of pocket for a while. And then, you know what? Ask your primary care doctor if you're stable and good to go and you're kind of feeling like things are working. Just go to your primary care doctor and ask your primary care if they will take over that medication for you if you're doing really well. That's an option that I offer a lot of clients, um, especially ones that are paying out of pocket and they don't have good insurance and they can't afford it. So, you're, you're, you're so important. Invest in yourself, invest in your loved ones and invest in your children. Um, you know, it's worth every penny. If you think about it, um, it, it matters. It truly matters. Anyway, God bless you guys. 
Thank you for all of your support and all of your emails and correspondence and and feedback. We really appreciate it. I'm going to start giving out your number. <laughs> no, I think Julie brings up a really good point about resiliency that, um, you know, if you have been impact, but impacted by a parent with mental health, you didn't ask for it. Um, but, you know, there are tools and vehicles and means to overcome it. Uh, resiliency, another term is called psychological hardiness. Um, it's amazing, you know, people have been through stuff and they, they can't overcome it. Uh, so circling back to the question, does parental mental health impact kids? Yes. And can that impact uh, last into adolescence and adulthood? Yes. But you want to be mindful of what that what impact is that having on your current functioning on your current relationships uh whether that's intimate sexual platonic uh collegial um or even even as as or or parental so hopefully we were able to shed some light on um the impact of parental mental health on on children uh it 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 like julie says it's a continuum um you know, as a diagnostician, I'm neuropsychology. We're, we're, we're always looking for what's wrong. Testing is not designed to figure out what is right. But the right therapy, and I'm very grateful to be connected to amazing therapists and, and clinicians uh, who do really, really good work. And with, with the right work, whether that's medication, cognitive therapy, or the combination of the two, which is the most effective for the treatment of all psychiatric conditions, uh, you can overcome it. And like Julie said, maybe you never will get the answer. And if you get if you got the answer, is that going to erase whatever transgressions? No, it's not. And so the perpetual quest for why, uh, I think, is an exercise in futility. So until next time, uh, be well. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at psychologyunpluggedoutlook.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me through Psychology Today. You can contact me directly at 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time. Again, much appreciation for all the positive feedback and comments. If I haven't gotten back to you, reach out. Um, doing two to three neuropsych evals a day, six days a week. So I try and whatever little time I have to get back to everybody. And... Um, Again, it's a truly a pleasure and an honor to be able to do this. And it's like I said, we, it's my modest version of God's work and um, hopefully it's making impact in people's lives. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be well, and I will talk to you then. Thanks. Bye.